Have you ever heard the expression, what's the tea? According to Urban Dictionary, it means when someone has gossip and you want to know every detail as soon as possible. So that's what this podcast is, spilling the tea on what it's like to have cancer or the big C as a young person in Northern Ireland. Recorded in 2022, two charities, Young Lives vs Cancer and Cancer Fund for Children, have come together to talk about cancer services in Northern Ireland and share the stories of the young people and families we support. I think I struggled more with the treatment than the surgery, not physically, just emotions because like on my Snapchat I remember seeing all my friends going out at the weekend and I was sitting in the Royal. It was like this isn't this isn't normal. I shouldn't be doing this. And the same now, like when you see ones my age getting high posts in their job and all and I'm like, God, I haven't even got a degree yet. I just feel like I'm so behind, if you know what I mean. But then now I've just kinda learned, do you know what? It's okay to be on your own path. You don't kinda need to follow the rest of the crowd, do you know what I mean? So I think that's a good way to kinda look at it. This conversation was between Leah, Annalise and Danny, who were all diagnosed with papillary thyroid cancer in their late teens or early 20s. They share their experience of diagnosis, treatment, surgeries, balancing hormones, managing fatigue, the important role mums play and what it's like to be diagnosed with a, air quotes, good cancer. We hope you enjoy the tea. Do you want to tell me about like sort of the first signs and symptoms that something wasn't right? Yeah, um, the first signs I seen was I was really, really tired all the time and p- had put on a lot of weight really quickly. Um, I was dealing with a brain injury at the time, so I didn't really pick up on it. It was more, I think, my mum kind of saying that she's always sleeping and she's this and that. And then, obviously, in my brain injury notes, it said that they noticed swelling in my neck and they wanted me to go for a biopsy. So they sent me then to Antrim, and a few days later, um, they rang my mum to say I needed to go for an emergency one which then obviously found um, the tumours in the neck. So, yeah, that's kind of how it started. What you both? Does that sort of sound similar or...? Oh, yeah, that was quite similar for me. Um, but mine was like a lump on the side of my neck that had been there for a while. I just, you know, it was a wee lump. I just thought it was nothing and then got it checked and I thought everything was fine. It took a couple of months before they got back to me and then I got an emergency appointment and went up and... And then everything was just, that was it, <laughs> you know. Um, mine was a little bit different. So for like a year, I had awful headaches, awful like stomach cramps, which like every time I went to a doctor, they were like, oh, girls get that, that's normal. And then all like lymph nodes on my neck swollen and like no doctor would take me seriously. They were just kind of like, oh, like girls get this, it's a, it'll go away and then they eventually find some like on the lower part of my neck and then they flagged me for a red flag and I got a biopsy the next week. So things moved really quickly whenever yeah. you were taken seriously. Mm-hmm. What do you, Were doctors quick with you too? No, mm-hmm. no. I think I got it first checked in like November because I had a swollen lymph node too. It had spread to all my lymph nodes more on my mm-hmm. like right side and then um, it went from November to January is when I got called in for the biopsy and then January to July is when I got called in again for the emergency emergency appointment that took that long but yeah uh, mine was a different experience because mine was really quick um, I think I went for my first biopsy and within a week I had my emergency one and then within the next month I had my operation so mine seemed to go really mm. quick I had 12 tumours in the right and 9 on the, the left so I don't know was that just to get them in and quicker than me because of the brain injury too. I was still <laughs> doing the rehab and musgrave 
Mm-hmm. So maybe was that a factor of get this sorted sort of thing? I don't know. Can I just ask how old you guys were when you were diagnosed and I suppose having to go through that process? I was 19, um, just before I turned my 20th birthday, yeah. I had just turned 17, like that week. So. Oh, happy birthday! Yeah. Yeah, that's so strange because mine was really close to my birthday too and I just turned 22 and I'm still 22. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. So you're really young, guys. Let's be honest. Yeah. And at least now you're really old. Oh, no. <laughs> 27 in two weeks. Oh. Are you? Yeah. Happy birthday. You still call me 22. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd be the furthest away from like your treatment as well. So this is a way long time in the past for, for yeah. you. Whereas, Leah, you're a, a year? Just over a year. Just over yeah. a year. And Danny, you're bang in the middle yeah. of it. Yeah. Funny, okay. when I was first diagnosed, I remember the consultant saying this is one of the youngest cases we've had. Wow. And then I think within a year, I remember there was a young other girl, I'm not mentioning name, obviously, but was uh, diagnosed at 16. And then I remember going down to her house to visit her and all of a sudden it was just, all you heard about was young girls now getting thyroid cancer. Mm. So it seemed to have just grown really, really quick or something. Can I add, this might be a really silly question on my part, right? But <laughs> had you even been so young, did you even really know what a thyroid was? Because no. I didn't until no. probably more recently. <laughs> when my da- actually, when my dad told me to sit down, they had to tell me what I, like, I had cancer. He was like, you have papillary thyroid cancer. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, he was like cancer in his throat. And I remember going, oh, I'll be all right. And he was like, no. and then my mum were like, my mum sat at the table crying, this is serious. I was like, <laughs> you know, you kind of just are like, I whatever. <laughs> no, I didn't even know what it was like, what it did, and like the doctors had to like go through it with me, and I had to look it all up. Like, what was a thyroid? Why was I getting all these weird symptoms? And mm. then I found it actually controls like everything. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I thought that too. Um, my friend thought the thyroid was somewhere around in the stomach area. <laughs> I thought it was quite funny. Like your appendix? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm. I was like, no, nowhere near. I was like, yes again, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm at the, like, the other side of it. Your thyroid, like still, like what well, I'm what, seven years now, you still go through a lot of problems with it. Like, I just feel like I'm constantly, maybe twice a year, and then your hormones too, there's just something always going on with your side. It really does control everything. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it is very important. Can anyone give us like a scientific definition of what a thyroid is and what it does? Here, <laughs> if you guys don't know, it controls like hormone. It like controls your hormone balance and it helps your metabolism. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's in your neck. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's like butterfly shaped in your neck. Yeah. It's Aww. a gland. Oh. I know that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was wonderful. Yes. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> so. Um, so you've all been we're all at the stage now you've all been diagnosed what happened next what was the treatment options Annalise we'll probably start with you um, I went for my operation in the May 2015 and then in the July I did a week of radio and then I relapsed in October and I went again for radio in the March 16 so when you say radio what is that so it's like it's like a prison really okay, right, okay but you'll be alright <laughs> You'll be okay. I just kind of get into a routine. So it is a room. I was in the Belfast um, Royal. It's a room filled with lead in the walls. Nobody can come in. Nobody can go out. I just remember lying in the bed and two, I don't know if they were nurses or what they were, consultants come in with like white gowns on and this case. And in the case was like a wee tablet. Uh-huh. And you kind of are sitting there and they're like, 
okay, when I put this tablet in your mouth, don't swallow it until we leave the room. And then you're, you do feel then like, oh my God, it's like something like The Simpsons, you know. <laughs> just kind of lying in the bed like, okay. So then they go outside the door and you swallow it and then nobody's allowed by like the barrier. But I just kind of got into a routine of like up every morning getting showered and whatever. I think I was, yeah, I think it was a white guy was there. But it was tough because there's nothing in the room. So I just bring brought my iPad and books and whatever. But the visitors which might be different, I don't know, with COVID. I had a lot of visitors every day coming, mm-hmm. and one of them was um, Simon from Click Sergeant, obviously, coming. So I don't know if your experience is going to be different now with COVID. Do you know? I'm not going to be impatient this time, actually. I'm getting, like, a half dose. Right. Oh. Yeah, because I already got a full dose in November, but this is half once. They're sending me home, but I, I don't think I'm allowed to be around people when I'm at home either. Yeah. I know it's a bit strange, um, but... The, the treatment in November was pretty much the same as what you've said. Like, I did everything the same, but I didn't have a routine. I don't know if it's just me, but the, the radioactive iodine just, like, floored me. I literally stayed in that bed the whole yeah, time I, I was remember there. just not being able to eat. Yeah. The, like, I hospital couldn't. food, I still can't eat mints. But yeah, no, I think hospital food is just nasty. I just can't eat it. It's <laughs> disgusting. It's like swimming around the plate with a bit of gravy. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh sorry, but it's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've had, sorry, so you've had your treatment in November. Yeah. Where I, where were you? Where I were was in the Belfast Cancer Centre as well. Um, it was probably around the same area, I assume. Were you the city hospital? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I was the Royal. Was, she was uh, a, bit a mile up the road. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. it was probably about the same. I'm sorry, like, the room wasn't that big. It was small. But, like, a lot of people had been there already, so there was... Could you open windows? Um, no, I didn't yeah, have windows. I had a balcony though, so I could go out there, but no windows. Well, no, I remember just being stuck in that room, no air. It was horrible. It was roasting sometimes, but I would just like stand out on the balcony for a wee minute and then come back in. It was nice that they really went out of their way to get the balcony for me, which was nice. That was good, yeah. Yeah. And it was a week? Oh, I think it was like about five or six days for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to like postpone it a wee bit because I went in and my calcium was so low because um, see after surgery like I I don't know about you guys but after surgery my calcium dropped so mm-hmm. bad um, and I just couldn't get it back up mm-hmm. and I have to take calcium supplements yeah so. they like did they dissolve more yeah, yeah and they're, they're disgusting horrible. I hate yeah, them I was on them, them. Um, I avoid them sometimes but then I I don't know my mind just was really low when I went in I didn't even realize I had the you know the tingly feeling in your hands and the pins and needles yeah and, stuff. and the yeah. feet and stuff but I didn't think it was that bad but they put the you know the like calcium drip in my arm and then once it was back up I got the treatment and it was the same for the box and everything felt really strange you were a bit like yeah it's weird uh, with a this might be silly, but are you allowed to touch the tablet? or We don't touch no. it. So they, do, it's how like, does that happen then? Is it like getting communion? Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like tongs, you know, like, whoa. And they get it and they nip it and then they place it in your tongue. And it was just, I just always remember saying, don't swallow that until we <laughs> leave the room. <laughs> Mine like, was in a tube. They got it like it was um, in a box and then you screw the tube on top of it and then lift it up and then you tip it and it falls down the tube into your mouth. No, no. <gasps> It's got fancier in the world. Tongs, that sounds so bizarre now. Yeah. They're going metal ones and their gloves on and they nip it and then... <laughs> so you were saying you were completely floored with this treatment? Yeah, just I lost my voice. Did you, did you lose your voice? No, I just remember my headaches. Really uh, bad Yeah, headaches. no, I got headaches too. I don't know. <laughs> my voice just went away. I sounded like a wee old woman that smoked <laughs> cigarettes or something. It was strange. But yeah. 
Um, Danny, I remember you um, talking about having to go on a like a special diet before oh, your yeah. treatment too. The low iodine diet. Is this something you all had to do or? Oh, just me. There, you're on your like own. A, it must be like a new so. thing. I had to go. It is horrible, I must say. I hated it. You um, can't, basically, you just can't eat dairy. Um, and you have to check like labels of things. They kind of told me to check like um, soaps and stuff as well. Just check that it doesn't have iodine in it and stuff. Because apparently it helps the treatment more. Um, it can help it work better. Stuff like that. So I, I couldn't eat like cheese or milk or stuff like that. You know, it just shows you how it changes over years. Yeah. Like, doesn't it? And uh, did you have like when visitors come in telling you you looked green? My dad was always saying, "Oh my God, you're so green today." <laughs> no. I always just remember that. I was that. just your dad. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> right. Every time I come in, he's like, oh, you're so green. And another thing, I haven't had COVID. And my granny keeps saying, was that radio? I'm telling you. Was that radio <laughs> you had? Actually, people said that to me as well. I was, my whole family had COVID and I didn't get it. And they were like, it's because you're radioactive, isn't it? I was like, oh. I don't think I can scientifically prove that, but maybe. <laughs> what a theory. We've discovered it here first. <laughs> um, so, Leah, you had surgery, didn't you? Yeah. Um, so is this what Danny and Annalise were saying about after surgery? Did you find the same thing? See, I, after my surgery, I was quite sick with the anaesthetic or whatever it's called, anaesthesia? I don't know. One of them? Yeah, one of them. And I, I was, I was lucky enough to only stay in hospital for one day, one night, and then the next day. Mm -hmm. And then I got to go home and I was just, as you said, floored. Like I had no energy and I just like, I almost felt like I couldn't balance myself because my neck was so funny feeling and yeah but for I didn't have to get radio because they got they took out half my thyroid and some of the like lymph nodes were on dip which was lucky enough for me after listening yeah. to these guys yeah. I bet you're like mm. yep yep mm. no you're green skin for me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. although do you know what Leah I have to say and Danny I hope you don't mind me saying but from our conversations I got the sense from you that surgery for you was extremely difficult yeah it was and mm -hmm. it should never be downplayed because yeah. it's um it was a really significant part of your treatment yeah it was i was in for five days yeah I, my first time i was roughly the same and then my second operation just completely floored me as well i think it was i think the hardest part though of the whole surgery was getting my my mum having to shower me at 19. i think oh. that's where i really struggled i was like I remember just sitting in the shower in the hospital like, you shouldn't be doing this. And she's like, you're all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Do you know, like, I think that's the hardest bit. But I would definitely, I think I struggled more with the treatment than the surgery. Not physically, just emotions. Because, like, on my Snapchat, I remember seeing all my friends going out at the weekend and I was sitting in the Royal. It was like, this isn't, this isn't normal. I shouldn't be doing this. And the same now, like, when you see ones my age, getting high posting their job and all and I'm like god I haven't even got a degree yet I just feel like I'm so behind if you know what I mean but then now I've just kind of learned do you know what it's okay to be on your own path you don't kind of need to follow the rest of the crowd do you know what I mean so I think that's a good way to kind of look at it mm -hmm. I was gonna ask did you guys get the um you know the tubes in your neck you yeah. know the draining tubes I think I had one but I woke up and then I was put back to sleep Mm. And then I think everything was out of it. And then I can't really remember much from being in the hospital at all. So, uh, 
Yeah. I had the, the two tubes in. Yeah, I was just wondering, because I had a really hard time with those. You know, like, I had to carry them yes. about. And it was hard to even, you know, you feel your head feels strange, because mm-hmm. your neck is all numb and sore. So you just, I was like, ah. I think with the two tubes as well, that's when you really feel like a cancer patient. Yeah. When you're walking up the corridor with these two clear cylinders filling, and you're like, Voo. I felt exactly like that. And My mum pushed me around in a wheelchair, because I got so dizzy. Because yeah. I was really sick from, from all the medicine and everything it just made me like really ill um and mum pushed me around in a wee wheelchair just to give me some fresh air and I was just holding them in my lap and I felt so strange mm-hmm. like and it's the getting them took out too the pain of them I was so scared oh. I can't even tell you like I was shaking mm-hmm. I was so scared because I thought it was gonna be terrible but it's definitely uncomfortable I would yeah. say it's, it's the noise of it <laughs> Oh, I just yeah. remember the noise, sorry, but it was actually disgusting. I, I described the noise to it in the car to Helen. She was like, <laughs> it's not nice. Um, no. And my wee cousin as well from Dublin, they came up to visit me. I think it was after my first operation. And my wee cousin, I had just got my tubes took out and she walked in and fainted. Oh. And that's when the tubes had been just been taken out. So she had been five minutes before. I don't know how she would have coped because yeah. they were disgusting. They were. My, my dad made very lovely comments about them you know it's the fact they're clear too so you can see everything you can see everything yeah no it's gross and and mine were pretty filled up too yes at the end they're like disgusted mm -hmm. by them i was like okay well danny your your family and friends had some names for yours if i remember yeah (laughs) my little crazy straws my little silly straws because some of them twirled a wee bit when they went down and then my little um they're like my little juice just bottles. Oh, vile! <laughs> 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 like yeah, you've got a wee uh, portable wee juice with you now, cranberry juice or something. I was like, gross. Mm-hmm. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> that made me. The fact they bring you in dinner when these are sitting beside you in your bed, like there's your dinner, like yeah, yeah, lovely. <laughs> Can I go back? Both you just mentioned there, like you felt like a cancer patient at that point. What about that label? What how did you feel when you were diagnosed with cancer? What did you what were your assumptions of what cancer was before you know, your treatment, your diagnosis? When you talk about oh that's when I felt like a cancer patient, when you see pictures and even like on the T V adverts for cancer patients, it is, you know, them adverts for cancer patients. You sorry. do though these charts. You see them kinda sitting with no hair, yeah. they've got tubes in, so that's when you kind of are like, oh, I'm a cancer. Do you know what I mean? Just beca- but that that is a label, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's obviously none of us have lost our hair. Doesn't mean we are we're not cancer patients or haven't been cancer mm-hmm. patients. So it's kind of just a label. Everybody says, oh, we cancer patient. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because see, from the outside, no one would ever know. Yeah. Um, Especially when you first get diagnosed, like no one knows, obviously. It's just something that you're carrying around with yourself. You like you haven't got surgery, nothing has happened. You're just you just sometimes sit there and you're like, I have cancer and mm-hmm. I just found out and here I am. It's a very weird feeling. I went to work the next day when I found out. Like you don't feel Yeah. Sometimes it hits you randomly too, because you don't feel like a cancer it patient never, or anything. Yeah, I would say it never goes away. Yeah. Yeah, the the cancer goes away and all but I'd say like the emotions won't ever go away you'll you'll get scares and you'll get this and whatever but it is hard to kind of even when I look back now and I think about what I've been through I'm like god that does really hit like a wee nerve there mm, but what I do now is I just talk to people and it's good like that's one thing about like cancer fund and click sergeant the best thing I ever did was get involved in like the Ellen MacArthur that going to Daisy Lodge go and f- find your sense of tumour if I didn't go to that I don't think I'd have anybody so would I really deal with what I was going through I don't think I would have mm-hmm. 
So I'd definitely recommend if he's get any opportunity to do anything, please do it. Yeah, it's nervous. I didn't. Re- I did not want to do it. I remember Simon coming in when I was getting radio, and my mum was like, "He's just going to talk to you." And I was like, "No, I don't want to talk. To him. What would I want to talk about?" And then when Simon came in. There was just so much we spoke about that wasn't cancer related, and he really helped me without knowing. Do you know what I mean? So I think even if you're not wanting to go away and do stuff, I would still say do it because it will. You might not enjoy it, but I think you will. There's not many people I know that haven't went and enjoyed all these things. Mm. It's not like you're sitting talking about cancer the whole time either. You're maybe talking mm-hmm. about, oh, when I get better, I want to go to uni, I want to do this, or this is what I work as, or do you know anything like that? So what was the, What were the reactions of like your friends and family whenever you told them? <laughs> uh, um, I'll start. Um, so no one actually really knew what it was for me because... They kind of, when I got my biopsy, they didn't know exactly what it was. All they knew was it was definitely cancerous, but they weren't sure if it was, like, what type, if it was malignant, benign. Mm -hmm. And I think it didn't really sink into any of my friends or family. And then I was back at school for maybe three weeks in September, and then I was off. And I remember coming back and all my friends, like, being like, oh, that was very serious, wasn't it? And, like, none of them had realised that it was actually something that needed, like, a surgery and all this. And I remember hearing people in school going, oh, she had nothing wrong with her. Like, she didn't lose her hair. Like, look at her. Because I never, like, I actively try to cover my scar. Like, I wear necklaces and stuff. So that was my reactions. That's horrible. I'm sick. What? Yeah. 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 That is horrible. Yeah. Kids are mean. I know. Mm. Does that resonate with either of you two? Like, did anyone have a bad reaction or something that annoyed you? (laughs) Maybe a wee bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, like, my family were hit, like, hard by it. Um, Before we even found out, you know, like, just being called in to the hospital a lot is scary. So everyone was scared already. And they were just trying to make me feel better because I think we kind of knew. Because there's not much you can think of when you have a lump on the side of your neck and you're being called in the hospital. No one's going to assume anything else, but we were just, like, I think my family just went straight to the worst case scenario, which is why they were all so emotional. And I was just trying to be, I don't know the word, you know, just positive and be my normal self and not let them see that I was scared too. But, um, like, my friends were okay, actually. Like, I... My family were devastated, but my friends just treated me like normal, obviously. Like, I'm with my family all the time, so if anything happens to me, they care about me more than anyone. But my friends were just more trying to make me comfortable, make sure I'm okay and and I'm not, like, stressed. So if I needed them, they would let me know. But um, I had, like, maybe one experience where I was telling them and they went, oh, okay. And I was like, I'm telling you, like, some of the most devastating news I've ever gotten. You just said, oh, okay. Like, I'm literally almost in tears and you just went, Oh, is that it? Is that it? You're just you're just getting surgery and just a little bit. You're not going bald, and I'm like, I'm pretty devastated. Why <laughs> you're making me feel like I've just told you something really stupid? Mm-hmm. Like it was it was not a comfortable experience that one. Um, just to add to what you said, like I think especially I don't know about you, but my mum immediately like jumps to the worst, and she was like googling everything. Yeah. And I remember going in and one of the consultants was like telling us literally do not go and Google, just wait till you get your results and like be patient and don't try to diagnose yourself because that's kind of what I do. I look everything up 
like I was looking up the surgery and watching videos of it. Yeah. Before going in, I was like, so is this what you're doing? <laughs> I know I've seen so many videos of it, but my doctor literally was laughing at me like, you're ridiculous. I've never been like in hospital. I never got surgery. I've never Same. had a broken bone. So I was like, I want to know what's going on. So me and mum were looking through, you know, like... Um, like Instagram pages, you know, like I think Young Lives has some people on there mm-hmm. with thyroid cancer. So I would go onto their Instagram, see what they went through and see what basically I'm going to go through because I was scared. I'm scared of yes, surgery. Yeah. <laughs> the thought of it was just terrifying. I think it's really, I this is my own personal feeling, but I think it's really unrealistic for a doctor or a nurse to turn around and say, don't Google. Yeah. Especially yeah. today because... Um. That's like saying, don't think of a blue elephant. I'm going to bloody Google this like right <laughs> now under the table. I think it was Simon, who's the Young Lives vs. Cancer, formerly Click Sergeant social worker, has a really good piece of advice where he says, well, when you do Google, <laughs> clear your cookies, do it in mm-hmm. a, incognito mode, because then it means you're not going to be like haunted on the internet by ads for miracle cancer cures or different types of things that would just like put you in a really bad mood when you're looking at other things but um yeah there there is i i totally understand that wanting to just know more get as much information as possible but that's a good shout actually seeing stuff on instagram and like following people that have been through it because it just makes things a little bit less scary yeah yeah it did Uh, did you have any bad reactions or things that you found unhelpful whenever you told people that you had cancer no I don't think I had any. To be fair, I have heard the, oh, it could be worse, you know, it could be a worse cancer, it could be this. But just because I was dealing with the brain injury thing, I was kind of focusing on it as well as the cancer. Mm -hmm. So kind of that's why, I don't know, it took me a long time to nearly process that I was going through this cancer journey as well. So no, I didn't. I can't think of having any bad experiences you know, I remember people just looking at my scar and my dad always saying, when you're lying down, it looks like you're smiling at us. I was like, all right, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I couldn't have Googled um, or watched videos of it, no way, because I just, when I come out of my operation and my scar goes right around, I just always remember thinking, imagine me lying there and that, like, up over my face. <laughs> you know, it just, it just turned me. I'd be like, I can't think of that. I couldn't have watched them videos because I used to think at me and him, like, oh, no, no way. <laughs> I <laughs> don't know if I could have watched those <laughs> I, I remember saying to my mum like last year the year before I'd love to do like um, a skydive for like a charity and she was like imagine your scar like opened and was flapping what? <laughs> what? and was flapping you know oh it'd be like goodness. flapping open like, oh, right. that's gross <laughs> no so I did, don't it, like, did it right put you off doing a skydive oh or? she wouldn't let me do it oh, I think because I had the brain injury and then the cancer she nearly did have me wrapped in bubble wrap like <laughs> honestly Wherever I went, even my friends used to come and collect me to... Because I wasn't allowed to drive for a year, year and a half after the brain injury. They came and collected me and took me out and stuff. And honestly, she was nearly out the door behind me, like in the car. <laughs> like, put your belt on, you know, like, <laughs> 29 months, you know. <laughs> I feel like all of our mums were the same then. Yeah. My mum was stuck to my hip the whole time and when re- I was in yeah. hospital too. She was just... I remember at the start, like, when I was sick, she was, would have been ringing and all, what time are you home? But then now she just, she wouldn't ring. Thanks, (laughs) 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 Mum. And Danny, didn't your mum stay with you in hospital? She did, yeah. yeah. I was there for five days. She slept on one of those wee, like, rubbish uh, hospital beds, and she slept in the corner of the room. Yeah, mine was the same. That was something, actually, my mum said to talk about, because now, with with COVID, I I was wondering, would you have been allowed to have somebody with you? So you were... 
Yeah, I was allowed my mum to stay, but like whenever people came to visit, they were only allowed to stay for like a, I think about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour, I think. Right. And it was only one person at a time, but mum was with me constantly. She did not leave me. <laughs> that, no, my mum was the same. Yeah, I remember actually telling her after the first operation to go down and get a coffee. And she's like, you sure you'll be all right? And I was like, yes, just go. It was <laughs> awful. You're just constantly, sit, they're just always sitting there. Yeah. It, was, it was sad. I, I was sleeping most of the time. Yeah. Like, I, I was so tired after surgery. So I would like see during, we kind of had this routine, me and mum, because uh, my pain and, and stuff kind of came up around the same time. So I'd be really bad in the morning and then it would start to, mellow out a bit in the afternoon and then the evening I was fine I could do whatever in the in the evening um I was still in pain but not as bad as the morning like morning I was sick and everything just um so evening time I would be able to kind of be normal for a little bit and sit up and and eat food and try to get my calcium up and stuff um and mum works in the hospital so she had friends there and and she works night duty so these friends would come down at night time and she would feel more comfortable leaving me alone Mm -hmm. she would go down to like the canteen or whatever and she would like get food and sit with her friends maybe talk to them and I'd be like finally mom is getting some time away from me (laughs) to actually converse with someone because I just sleep the entire day and then I wake her up at four o'clock every morning in pain. So I'm just like, mom was constantly taking care of me. Every time I woke up from a nap, she would just be sitting in that chair. And I was like, I feel terrible for her. But she was so nice and she took care of me, really. Like I, I, I had said to Helen already, I was scared of pressing the button to call the nurse in. Like I've never been in hospitals, but I was just like, I can't press the button. Um, for some reason, I don't know, it was just like nerves and... And I didn't want to waste people's time or annoy anyone, you know, of stupid stuff like that. Um, so mom was just there and I'd be like, Mom, I'm in pain, so mom would do it for me. Yeah. I actually that time that I sent my mum off to get a coffee, I needed help, like my balance and all was off, so I needed help even going to the toilet, like even just somebody to link on to go in. And I remember pressing the buzzer and I was bursting and nobody was coming. The nurses kept saying, We'll be back in a minute, we'll be back in a minute and my mum come back up and I was sitting in the bed crying. Mm. I just felt so sick. And she was like, What's wrong? And I was like, I just need the toilet and she's like, Oh, right, okay. She's probably thinking, She's really what is she crying over the toilet for? But I was bursting so much and I was so sore. Mm. But I remember yeah. the nurses just like constantly like, Oh, we'll be back in a minute, we'll be back in a minute and just waiting and waiting and waiting. So that was something that I had like a bad experience I had with the hospitals. Do you feel um you are not just carrying obviously the weight of your own feelings and emotions and processing what's happened but also I suppose the the weight of other people in that situation so your family your friends even Danny what you're talking about there the hospital staff that are there to obviously help but you're thinking I don't want to be a burden I don't want to that so you're carrying so many different feelings and emotions there at one time trying to maybe protect other people from what you're really experience and yeah I think you you do try and put up a front you know right I really need to like I, every time I looked at my mum I was like oh, that's she just looked so horrible like she just looked so sad so I was like right I'm gonna be all right um I try, try to stay positive but there I do remember nights being in my room and my own like at home like my bedroom and crying and being like yeah. oh like I just don't want you don't want to say anything because you don't want it they'll end up worrying so you kind of do hide away you, how you're truly feeling as well do you know but then that's again when you have like the friends from the charities and that to talk to which I thought were a great help yeah. like even recently I remember in the last few months talking to a girl I'd be friendly with and she was saying do you ever just feel really down for nothing like you can't explain how you're feeling I was like yeah and she was like do you ever just think, think like oh like this is going to come back and all that and it's hard not to think, think about but it is 
real life too. Do you know that way? So that's why I would not. I would always try and stay upbeat and talk to people, but then I can talk to other people and then let my emotion out. There's certain people I wouldn't let it out with, due to that reason. Leah, you were in a relationship when you were yeah. diagnosed. How was that navigating that with your partner? See, mine was extremely different to both of you because mine was, you see, like one of the main lockdowns for COVID. So I had to get a COVID test and isolate by myself with my mum, actually. Um, kind of my whole family, to be honest, but for like a week. Mm. And then I had to go into the hospital by myself and I wasn't allowed anyone after my surgery. And then... My mum had to pick me up the next day, but I couldn't go back to school. And because of the whole COVID restrictions, I couldn't really have anyone up. Mm. So it was like, it was a weird experience, but um, my boyfriend was good through the whole thing. Like he was always good and he was always there on FaceTime to me. So yeah, so yeah. I think he was probably one of the most understanding ones. I feel like, um, like I missed a lot of school. I don't know if he's missed like uni or jobs or anything. I don't know. But like I think him especially he helped me because I didn't feel like I was by myself like I had him my parents and all yeah. my friends would drop stuff at the gates you know yeah and then <laughs> get in their cars and go away but yeah. what were the best things they ever brought you I actually like one of my friends Matthew he got me a pile of sweets sweets that was probably good but yeah I couldn't eat much after my surgery so Sweets are always a winner, though. Yeah, got loads of sweets. <laughs> <laughs> They're all gone now. <laughs> you see, um, I suppose just bringing a, a, a little bit of a surgery question before we properly maybe move on from that. But did you like? Do you have part of your thyroid removed? Have any of you had your whole thyroid removed? Yeah, I'm the whole thyroid. Mm. Uh, I had just over half, and then the lymph nodes removed. So what's been the consequences of that, like, long-term after your surgery? It would definitely be, like, the no energy and tiredness. Mm. And I just feel like there's always, you're always getting, like, I get my bloods done every four to six weeks. So I always feel like there's something, like, calcium, I'm off calcium now, but recently I've started getting pins and needles, let's start again. And then back on iron tablets, back on folic acid, like... People, because you don't talk about it, are thinking I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing great, of course, but there is always something mm. going on. And I think now I'm better after this. Uh, I know when my body's telling me there's something wrong. Like, I knew before Christmas I was just constantly tired and stuff. So then they started giving me the B12 injections, which are great. Like, do you know, so I think the side effects, they nearly tell you now. I don't know. I just always feel like they nearly send a feeling to me when I know I'm not well that way. But a, bit, a big thing with the thyroid as well is um your hormones like when we have well i have my time a month oh my god you couldn't look at me honestly <laughs> you couldn't or either that way or i'm really really upset mm. i could cry and they're like well, what's wrong i don't know i really don't know but i do i would find like some days i would with my hormones i could be really like um, like have loads of emotions going on but not all the time but the odd time where I, th- I think i never used to be like this do you know that way or did you <laughs> and you're just in denial. <laughs> I really didn't. <laughs> but another thing that needs to be with the thyroid cancer it needs to be spoken about is there can be problems when you go to have children, which I was talking to you, Laura about earlier. So I do think that's something that maybe needs talked about more because there wasn't a lot spoke about it. It was just my consultant said to me, and I was like, at the time, 22, 20, I was like, no, but now I'm starting to think, right, maybe I do need to freeze my eggs, maybe I need to get tested more. Do you know, because they said if you do carry children and with no thyroid and your hormones and all, you could end up with really bad mental health problems. 
I definitely don't want them. So just to plug our podcast on the last episode of series one, um, we spoke to Lisa Callender, who um, we t- she gave us. So in the last maybe 15 minutes of the podcast, she talks about um, how to get your fertility checked and what the process is and what you need to do. So for anyone listening that is a bit worried about their fertility, check that out. So what kind of medication are you on? I'm on levothyroxine and I, at the moment, I'm doing 175 at the moment. And I went into hospital recently to get an appointment with my doctor and he was reviewing my medication because my body wasn't absorbing it properly. And that's because I don't take it um, correctly. You know, I eat food with it. I take my calcium tablets with it, which I didn't know because when I got surgery, they give my all my tablets together I don't know if it was the same for you but yeah they do that so I didn't realize you can't you can't drink tea or coffee really no caffeine when you take it and you have to wait 45 minutes before you um eat any food and stuff like that you know mm-hmm. so I'm on like levothyroxine as well I'm not sure the exact amount but after my surgery I was in put on it straight away and then after a few maybe like two three months they reviewed it and were like okay your levels are really really low so I was put on it and since then it's kind of been going up and down and then I'm trying to get the right balance because they want my thyroid to learn to work for itself while also supporting it and helping it. But I like I was I wasn't told about the diet thing and then when I was researching it, like it was all these things about how you shouldn't be having caffeine, like iodine rich food should be avoided and all them sort of things. And I think that it's important to like ask your doctor because I would have rather heard it from them and known from the start instead of maybe wasting an entire packet that wasn't being absorbed or had no impact. Would you find when you take your, like I take my thorax in the morning, would you find for about two to three hours after you feel really like nausea, like really sick? Like I get that every morning. Sometimes, yeah, especially in the morning, really. Yeah. And yeah. I don't be hungry. Like if you yeah, put a break, I'd be like, oh, I, I can't eat, no way. Mm. Yeah. You no. find that as well then, yeah. No. No, I, I always almost feel like I have more energy in the mornings and then throughout the day it kind of gets to like six, seven and then I'm exhausted and can't focus. Right. Yeah. And I've met a few people along the years, not that ha- they didn't have cancer, but they mm-hmm. had like thyroid problems. And if they were, isn't it under you lose weight? Underactive, you, you lose weight and over you put on weight? I thought it was other, I don't know. <laughs> well, whatever way, the one that put you on weight, the one, girl, like I've met a lot of girls saying, mm-hmm. oh no, I don't take it because they say you put on weight. So please don't do that. Yeah. Because we have yeah. no, like we've parts of our thyroid or all our thyroids out. So I think it's important not to do that. And I remember talking to ones going, you're an idiot. Like, just take your medication. Like, mm-hmm. you're on thyroid and furry. No, no, I don't want to put on weight. That like me coming into the summer. So yeah, like... <laughs> I sound so vain, but like that was my problem when I started. I was like, I just don't want to change weight. Like, I don't want to be taking medication if it's going to make me gain weight. I'd rather be losing weight. But then, like, my mum kind of just was like, You're being ridiculous, just take mm-hmm. it. There was one time, um, just this was a few years ago, I didn't take my medication in the morning until the afternoon mm-hmm. just to see, and I was not a bit well. No. I couldn't focus without it. And I actually remember my mum saying to me, my word, you really don't look good. And I was like, I don't, I can't, rem- I couldn't remember if I took it or not. Mm. So then mm. now I have like a wee like medicine, like sorter. That's <laughs> like an old, somebody in an old home would have, just so I know what I'm taking every day and I fill it out every week. Do you 
So yeah, see, I was awful. I always forgot to take it, and then I'd miss one, and then the next day I'd be like behind, and then it takes a while for it to yeah. build up in your system. So I kind of set an alarm. It's always like at seven, roughly, and then I take it, and then I go get ready, and then I have breakfast. So I've kind of gotten a routine mm. to make sure I take it. And even like if I'm going yeah. away somewhere, I always make sure I have it. Like yeah, it's so packet. important, yeah. I think, anyway. See, yeah. last time, I see that time I went to see my doctor mm-hmm. and talked to him and it wasn't absorbing right. He said to me, um, well, see, at first they were kind of implying that I just wasn't taking it. And I said I was yeah. taking it, but they're like, well, clearly you're not. And I said mm-hmm. I was. So it was kind of like this ongoing thing for a while. Right. I was just going to say, like, a thing with the whole levothyroxin is that I feel like a lot of the doctors don't, like, they're almost... You see the way in hospitals at the minute and doctors' surgeries are so busy. Mm. Um, with my blood tests, I'm meant to get them every six weeks or so. And it feels like at, when it hits to six weeks, they're meant to phone me and book me in. They never do. Mm. Then my mum phones and nothing. And there's been loads of times I've had to go over their heads to the Macmillan nurses yeah. and get them to phone. So don't be afraid to like push because for everything mm. I've had to push to get seen. That's what I'm so yeah. thankful. See, my mum. Like, she has to oh, go to my, my appointment. With a wee <laughs> my mum, too. It's fine. It's just a mum thing. <laughs> I do think our mums need to be in the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they don't seem to hold anything in anyway. But she would be the one that would have pushed for everything, like, you know. So I do think. The mums, she, the, the mums are good in that way. Yeah. Mum did everything for me. She yeah, really same. got everything sorted. Mum knows how it goes in the hospital too because she's a nurse. So mm-hmm. She's just like getting it all and done. And you know the way they use all the big words when you go in? And, and yeah. I, I, she would be right them all down like, and then be like, what? <laughs> like, show me the notepad. Very good. I couldn't even pronounce the words. Sometimes <laughs> they ask me questions and I'd just be like, Mum, Mum, <laughs> what? I don't know what they're talking about at the start. They use all these terminology and I'm like, I just found yeah. out what a thyroid is. I uh, One funny story, I remember going in to see my consultant and um, he says, and is there any chance that you're pregnant and I'm gay? And my mum sitting in the corner in stitches. <laughs> I think that was one point I was just like, all right, she's really enjoyed him saying <laughs> that. Like, she's just sitting in the corner. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Some chance. I was like, all right. <laughs> you have to have, yeah, I always think as dark as, like some of the times where I just had so much fun too even going to the appointments with my mum and dad like we had a laugh I think that's what mm-hmm. really really helped me get through that was like the laugh I had kind of along the way yeah it's nice when people can make a joke out of it yeah yeah, yeah. you know they're my cancer patients huh <laughs> I, I was born in July so I'm a cancer and all my friends were like you took it a bit too seriously didn't you I was like wee bit <laughs> just a bit <laughs> See, um, after I got surgery, um, and then I got one of the tubes taken out, um, that night I went to sleep, I woke up in the morning, mm, the side of my neck was really swollen, like very big swollen, and I uh, had a couple of doctors come down and check, and they thought it was a hematoma, um, which I don't really know what that is, but I, I think it's like a collection of like blood and fluid in your, in one area, it's kind of... Yeah, that needs like drained out. Yeah, basically. Um, so they had told me that that was what that was. They had basically confirmed that's what had happened, and it had, it was pretty big. Um, and it was very uncomfortable, and you know it it made sense because I got the tube out, you know. Um, but then my surgeon came to see me, and he said that that's not what it was, and it was silly for them to even try to imply that it was a hematoma, but that it was actually because I wasn't moving my neck enough that now my muscle has pretty much tightened up um, and I've had a neck spasm in my sleep and now 
it's completely just tight and it's still like this now it's not as bad as that night but it's like still tight if you look at my neck you can see how tight it is I'm going to physio at the minute because of it um and I don't know if other people experience this I had googled it and I looked on you know other Instagram pages of girls with thyroid cancer and I couldn't find it anywhere no one has spoke about it so I thought like there's no way that it's just me like I I know it's not just me but I've never heard of it mine is different again my second operation the consultant cut a nerve in my right shoulder where I would have a lot of weakness and I'd, I went to physio and all for it, but that still gives me bother, so I don't know. I've never met anybody that's had their neck or their shoulder or any problems like that, so I don't I don't yeah. know. I just I think was, it was... Might as well bring it up if anyone yeah. else yeah. has that problem. I mean, problem. now's the form to do it. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Uh, my um, lymph nodes that I got removed were all like in my right side, so I keep doing this. It's because it's all this area that was pretty bad, um, so that's where it's got all tight, and this is where I'm all numb. Um, I don't. I haven't got any of my feeling back. It goes right down to like the top of my shoulder, really. Um, yeah, I would find that my neck, like when driving or whatever, would get sore. So I would do a lot of like neck exercises. It's awful, but like cracking your oh neck yeah, does help. I would hate doing stuff like cracking my neck. But um, I learned a couple of exercises from physio. They help a lot. Yeah. Some people were, I think Lisa at the start, she was like a bit scared watching me stretch my neck. She was like, oh, don't do that. I was like, <laughs> she came to visit me when I was in hospital and, and she said like she didn't like it when I was stretching. And I was like, sorry, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny having her there. Oh, she's a hit. <laughs> yeah, she is. I was always told like once I got my surgery to make sure I moved my neck. But for about two weeks, I was almost afraid to touch my neck. Like even mm-hmm. now, I don't like touching my scar. I find that awful. But um, even when I'm driving now, if I'm sitting like this, I just feel like the entire front of my neck goes all tight. So I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the same for you. Yeah, no, I, I get it like in the morning normally. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Tight. Did you have any problem with like itchiness? Yes, of your scar. Yeah, people, yeah. I have been told so many times before I got the surgery, um, like be careful of itchiness because mm-hmm. it, it will get like dry. Did, so did they give you like a gel stuff to put on? Yeah, yeah. They and did. everything stuck to it. Then I remember waking up in the morning, all my hair would just wrap around <laughs> yeah. the neck. It was like my I word. <laughs> <laughs> I tried so many different things like afterwards to stop it being itchy, and mine was really like dark red and swollen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and too. I have pictures on my phone, but like I was obviously a podcast, so you can't see them, but. My neck was like black with bruises from my surgery and it took me like at least two, three months for the bruising to go down and the swelling. And even now, like it still is like the scar is still sitting up a year later. How were you like going out in public after that? I was like very nervous. I I actually felt embarrassed. Oh, me too. I remember my cousin, like he he was only like, must have been four at the time. He was afraid of my scar. And so I always wear quite high things, but... I kind of got to the stage where I just don't care. Yeah. yeah. I remember wearing scarves and stuff um, around my... But I actually love my scar now. I think it's class. <laughs> yeah, my, like, my auntie's always look at my battle wound. And I'm like, yeah, I'm class. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... I think I just, like, love it. It's different. Nobody else has it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that way? Perfect. Nobody can tell your story the way you can, so it's like, yeah. be proud of it. Yeah. I think that's all sometimes part of the process and everything that's happened. It's like talk about meaning making and suppose then for maybe for you guys or for particularly for you, Annalise, at the stage now where you're like, it really signifies something that you've been through. And yeah. um, I, 
a journey, it sounds a bit cheesy, but a real journey that you've been on. And um, equally then, Leah, for you, when you're talking about you just don't care anymore, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's flipping class. Yeah. Like, right? That takes so much confidence and, and real courage as well. Um, I've had a few people say to me, God, your scar looks like you've tried to like slit your throat. If any has had yeah. that. I, I, I got a bit worried that people would think that because I think one p- person mentioned it to me and it was always in my head from that point that I was like, I really hope people don't think that. Yeah, I had a couple of ones say that. Um, even in work, I remember them looking at my scar going, you would, if people didn't know, you'd think, you know, you tried to, you know, you know, because nobody will mention that word. And I'm mm. like, no, well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't yeah. try to do that, you know. But I think it's something everybody should be proud of, their scars. Yeah. One of my friends thought I was wearing a necklace when I first saw him after surgery and uh, I hadn't seen them in like months and I remember being in the car and he was sitting in front of me and I was behind him and uh, he just turned around and I was like, um, he had said something about my neck and I was like, I'm not wearing a necklace. And he was like, what? Yes, you are. And then he looked back and I was like, that's not a necklace. That's my scar. Because <laughs> it was quite purple at the time. I was like, <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Good to find humour in these things, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it, it comes back to people make a lot of assumptions, don't mm. they? And I think one thing that um, Leah you said at the very start that struck me because it's, I feel it's something that a lot of people generally with cancer have talked about, but particularly thyroid about fatigue. And you mm-hmm. said the comment about people said oh, she's always sleeping, and mm-hmm. um, you know. And I think some people think when you hear, you know, they just think oh she's just tired or they're just tired. And I've I, I know Danny, I think you said to me before you're like it is so much more than that like yeah. it's it is it the is, exhaustion yeah. is, is is intense yeah it's hard to describe as well because see when you do describe it, it just sounds like you're tired or you're being lazy and I feel like I cannot say anything especially before I got the diagnosis people just made me feel like I was so lazy mm-hmm. and and I was like I'm not I would go to work and only work like four hours and come home and sleep for the entire rest of the day and I would just feel horrible and my friends would make me feel a bit uncomfortable about it because they'd be like we're trying to hang out and you're not here because you're always sleeping and they would get annoyed with me and parents obviously got annoyed with me (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna listen to this hey guys (laughs) but um yeah it was it's hard to explain that it's not just tired it is like I can't get up I can't open my eyes and I can't I just can't do it there's zero energy in you and you can't even see if I were to get up and do something like I could get up and get dressed and changed. And then as soon as I sit down, I will go straight back to sleep. Like, there, you can't control it, too. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, I know, like, when I went back to school, um, I hadn't told some of my teachers. I went in and was put straight into, like, tests and mock exams. And I remember kind of, like, I think it was you and Simon I was speaking to. And I said to Simon, like, yeah, my grades have went down loads. And he was, like, immediately on at my school, like, Leah needs breaks and all this. And I think, like, the co- school kind of assumed, like, once the surgery was over, I'd be fine. But even now, like, my A-levels are coming up and I have to take, like, breaks during my exams. One of my teachers says, take at least three. So I think, like, my concentration, I don't know about you, so mine yeah. was more concentration than tiredness. Like, I just can't concentrate on things very long without feeling know. like Me neither. <laughs> and then, what, like you said about, like, people seeing your scar and, like, saying it was a necklace I remember going in school and I couldn't wear my like uniform because the button's so tight here so I had to wear the PE kit which is like a v-neck and people seeing the bruises and, and I was literally having to like l- like say to people like that were staring at me like oh I'm okay and it was quite difficult but yeah that's horrible yeah <laughs> um no but I would say like even though I'm 
like five, six years post, the tiredness doesn't go away, mm-hmm. but you get better at dealing with it. Like, you know, like a lot of ones I'm in work and that would say, you're crazy working, you know, full time. You could be getting benefits and you could be getting this. And I'm like, well, I want to be out working, but I do find that I can go, I'll be all right for days. And then all of a sudden it'll just hit me and I just really need a, a day just to kind of sleep and chill out. But it is as well, kind of understanding right today, I just need to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, that way. I was going to say, what are some of the ways that you've got better at dealing with that, Annalise? Crazy it sounds, keeping busy. I'm never in the yeah. house. I'm never, ever in, like, ever. And then with work as well, it's 13 and a half hour shifts. So, like, it's long, long days and you're on your feet all day. But my concentration, I wouldn't be, I would not, I could think of nothing worse than sitting in an office. Mm-hmm. I want to be out on the wards chatting with people or keeping busy that way. But I just, concentration wouldn't allow me to be in an office. I would be sitting staring at a wall. Do you know what I mean? Do you think you're better as well, as you'd said almost a minute ago, about recognising though as well when you need a day? Or yeah, yeah you'll, you will know, right, oh my God. Like next week I know I've got really, really busy week. Nearly every day I'll be out 13 hours every day. So I know next weekend I'm off. I need next Saturday just to chill out. Mm. But you kind of plan ahead as well, do you know, that way. No, that's that's a good technique. To yeah. yeah. But it is... Um, I just like to keep busy. I don't know how people sit in the house five days a week. Out of the same, do you know what I mean? That's For me, it works. For some of you, it might. No, I need more days to chill out. But See, for me... At the minute, because I'm in the middle of um, the treatment, I pretty much can't go out because yeah. I'm so tired all the time. I can go out for a certain amount of time and then I get so tired I have to yeah. come home. And it'll take you a couple of years for you to actually recognise that. And the same as like your medication, it took me nearly two years before they got my thyroxine levels sort it so oh, yeah. and like, again like as I say there is going to be always something you know like back on iron tablets back on this there's something going on like now I've got IBS so you, like, there is always something yeah. but it is just how you deal with it do you know I always say there's worse out there there's so many people out there that don't it never got this opportunity do you know what I mean so I would say we've we've got it good too in a way if you don't mind yeah <laughs> not saying our cancer was good not saying that but I'm just saying it could always be worse well I was gonna um ask one of the conversations Danny and I were having on the way down was about you know there has been positives that have come from um I suppose your experience and being diagnosed much as you wouldn't want to relive it but yeah uh, I suppose do you, do you want to talk about any of those well being a part of this this mm. is a perk um like going to Daisy Lodge definitely is one of the best things for it as well like it's such an amazing experience like it is it really I don't know what to say like you know it it's hard to find the good things when it comes to cancer and I think like family and friends find it hard to see the good things too but then when you're given opportunities like this people can celebrate things and be happy for you and and I felt like I was able to like come out of my shell a bit more um people were a lot kinder to me like reaching out to me I have like a hard time conversing with people about this kind of stuff because it makes me feel a bit um you know like nervous because it's serious it feels very serious but then people wanted to talk to me and and people wanted to see how I was and then um I have better relationships now with with people in my family and I spend time with people in family like the the exercise class that I go to with my my auntie Jody like I really enjoy spending time with her in the week because I wouldn't see her as much she has kids and she works but now I'm I'm spending time with her and 
going to Daisy Lodge with my mum and my sister and my dad, it, it's just nice to have bonding time and, you know, you feel like a different person, really, after you find out you have cancer. I feel like a different person. I don't know if it's the same experience for everyone, but I feel more, like, comfortable with myself, more confident speaking to people because I've kind of been forced into this, you know, forced to be around people and talk to people and share my experience and, and I'm very happy to do it. Danny told me she was really shy the first time I ever met her and didn't talk. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Uh, that's not my experience of you. Um, and I was really struck by, I suppose, just the confidence you gained, you know, yeah, which is I, lovely. If you met me a year ago, you wouldn't even know me. I'm not even joking. I was really hard to make conversation with. I just, I kept in my little shell and I just hide from people. But like, I don't know, it's just something about you know getting news like that and being a bit um more like I don't know the words like I really <laughs> can't find the words for it I just felt more comfortable living my life and putting myself out there now just because something like that you never expected to happen and now it has and now I'm like well maybe I can change and be more comfortable beautiful what about you guys um I wouldn't change it for the world to be honest because I don't even know what I would be doing with myself if I didn't have cancer because I did, I like when I had that brain injury I was in Australia obviously so I got back from Australia and this was all going on I didn't know what I wanted to do but then like seeing yourselves and the work you do made me go right actually I want to help people this is what I want to do where before that I wanted to be in sales like it's so so different of what I wanted to do but would obviously change the physical side of it but not the people I've met and the things that I've done, the experience I've like got to do, like with that that drama that we did in the Crescent Arts Centre, Elle MacArthur, Daisy Lodge, all of that, you wouldn't get to do that if you didn't have cancer. You know what I mean? Mm. As bad as it sounds, yeah, take out all the sickness, but the people I've met and all along the way, no way, I would not change it. And it's made me so confident and such a better person. I think like nothing seems to faze me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> do you know, like somebody could come in and say, here, did you hear about that boy? Like nothing, I just don't seem... I'm like, oh, whatever, <laughs> you know, that way. And I just think, like, if you know you're helping people, which this podcast I hope really will do, then, of course, I want to be involved, you know. No, when I got diagnosed, I felt kind of lucky because it said, because it was quite a, like, what would you say, like a fast-spreading cancer, that most people my age wouldn't get diagnosed till they felt like a lump. Then it would be almost radiotherapy straight away, all that. But, like, I got to work with click surgeon through young lives with cancer over the summer I got to write a blog for teenage cancer trust and I think that all made me want to do like teaching and things with children because it made me realize that like you can help people so much by just explaining things and talking things like this a big thank you to Danny Leah and Annalise for sharing so openly with us today and a big thank you to the National Lottery Community Fund for funding this podcast as part of our Together We Thrive project, enabling us to share these stories. If you or someone you love have been diagnosed with papillary thyroid cancer, check out the description of this episode for further signposting and resources. We hope you enjoyed the tea.